0: Thank you, Tom. Inquire if you will turn to the book of Acts, chapter 20, with me. Acts, chapter 20. So, next Sunday is October, and there happens to be five Sundays in October. And I thought, what better opportunity to step into some history, some church history, and talk about the Reformation. You know, October is Reformation month for us Protestants. I know you may not be familiar with that, that may not you may not understand that now, but trust me, as we get into October, you're going you're to learn, you're going to hear about the Protestant Reformation and the five solas of the Reformation. So in October, for five Sundays, we're going to look at the five solas that make us Protestants. The five solas of the Protestant Reformation, which means my last Sunday, being October 31st, we'll be looking at Sole Deo Gloria, which is good, to the glory of God alone. That's a good way to end uh, my time here. But we're going to be in a series. So when do I ple- preach my last sermon? It's today, okay? I'm going to be preaching the next five, but this is my last sermon. This is the one I wanted to leave you with, okay? This is the one that I want you to, regardless of how long it is, because I'm going to take my sweet time. I wasn't here last week. You'll be okay. This is the one I want you to take notes on. This is the one that if you don't pay attention to in the months to come, I will come back. And it'll be like, Paul, you don't want me to stop in this way, do you? Okay? And as I was thinking about this message from Acts 20... Last night, I thought, you know, this would kind of be what I would tell my family if I found out I was about to kick the bucket or something. You know, like these are things, a bucket list. Maybe that's what we should title the sermon, a bucket list. For the church, a bucket list for people that I care about, individuals. So I really want you to pay attention. This is kind of Paul's bucket list for the church at Ephesus. He's, he's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows that he's not going to see their face again, he says. And they were grieved that he was not going to see their face again. But he wanted to stop by and he called the elders of the church at Ephesus to himself and he wanted to give them kind of a one last pep talk. He wanted to give them a kind of bucket list. Here's my last sermon for you, Ephesus, because I want you to thrive. I want you to survive. I want you to live. I want you to flourish. So here's here's where I'm going to spill it all to you, church at Ephesus. And that's what we see in Acts 20, verses 17 to 38. And that's what I aim to do this morning in my last sermon that's not really my last sermon. I want to spill, spill it out for you. I want to share with you some things that I am convinced you need to write down and cling to if you're going to flourish as a church and, and kids, my kids to write down if they're going to flourish as individuals. So in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, we see that from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus. He sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them. So he's, he's gotten the elders to himself. And he's given them his last Sermon, And what does he say? Number one, make sure, these are my words, make sure the biblical gospel message is proclaimed repeatedly. I think if there's one thing you can count on when you come to First Baptist Tullahoma is it doesn't matter if we're preaching on tithing, you're going to hear the gospel message. In song, in sermon, in prayer... And I think Paul wanted the church at Ephesus to be reminded of the importance of the biblical gospel. Listen to what he says to them in verse number 18. When they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you Anything that was profitable, and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks what? Of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I think Paul had one sermon. I think Paul had one message, and that one message was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he calls these elders to himself, and he starts off by saying, you need to remember the one thing that I was about the whole time that I was with you. And the one thing I was about the whole time I was with you was repentance and faith. The biblical gospel message of Jesus Christ. So I want to appeal to you this morning to remember what I have been about the whole time I've been with you. And it is the biblical gospel message. It's not this half gospel that our churches unfortunately have preached for the last several decades that if you just get some butterflies in your stomach and raise your hand and walk down the aisle and repeat a prayer after the preacher and fill out a card and get baptized, you'll be fine. You'll be good. You'll be okay. You don't really have to understand the gospel. You don't really have to turn from any sin. You don't really have to throw yourself totally upon the mercy and grace of Jesus. You don't really have to be transformed by the power of the gospel. Just check all of our little boxes in the Southern Baptist Church and you'll be fine I hope, I hope that I have drilled into your head over the past four years that that is absolutely false doctrine false teaching, nowhere did Jesus or Paul or Peter or James say just repeat this little prayer after me and all will be well with you, but you've got to mean it from your heart of heart of hearts sincerely don't miss a word Nowhere do we see that. What do we see? We see the message that God is absolutely perfect and we have to be absolutely perfect to go to heaven. We have to be absolutely perfect to pass the judgment seat of of Christ. That means we, we have to live this life never sinning, never breaking any of God's commandments, never stepping out of line for a single moment. We have to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year for every year of our life. We have to love our neighbor like we love ourselves 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year for every year of our life or we're not good enough for heaven. That poses a problem, does it not? Because the Bible clearly says that we have all sinned and we've all come short of His glorious standard. That means none of us are fit for heaven. From the best of us to the least of us and the worst of us, none of us are fit for for heaven because the Bible tells us that if we have broken one law, we're guilty of all. So whether you've broken a million this morning, a million times, or whether you've broken one once, which we know is not true, But let's pretend it was. You broke in one law one time. We're all guilty. We've all come short of perfection. We've all come short of perfect holiness and righteousness. And we are all in trouble. But the good news is, God became a man, the man Christ Jesus. He humbled himself and he took on the form of a servant, born of a virgin, and he lived the perfect, sinless, spotless, righteous, holy life that God requires and demands of all of us. He checked every box for us. He scored 100 on the test and ruined the curve for all of us. Not only did he... Check every box necessary and live a perfect, sinless, righteous life like we should have lived and must live if we want to see heaven. But he went to the cross and he paid the penalty for our sin, not partially. We're going to learn about that next month as we talk about the Protestant Reformation. We don't, we don't, Jesus doesn't pay part and then we do some penance to make up the rest. No, he, he said it's finished. And the last time I checked, finished means done, finished, paid for, right? He paid for our sin on the cross. Was buried in a borrowed tomb because he wasn't going to need it long. Sunday morning he rose from the dead physically, bodily, alive so that if we heed Paul's message of repentance towards God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ we can have a swap. We can exchange Jesus our sin for his righteousness. I mean if Bill Gates walked into this place today and said, I'll swap my bank account for all your debt. I'll give you all of my stocks, all of my bank account for all of your debt. What kind of crazy person would walk out of here without taking that deal, right? And here we have God in the flesh saying, I will give you all of my righteousness, my my perfection, my holiness, my purity for all of your sin so that you can be made right with God. What kind of person walks away from a deal like that? No, I think I'll just try to do the best I can. Best you can' not good enough. Take the deal. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 21 says, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Let me tell you something. You don't just need that message when you're lost. You need that message when you're saved. Because not only do we find life in the gospel, but our life is sustained in the gospel. We have to keep going back to the gospel. We live a life of repentance. We live a life of faith in Jesus Christ or we don't live. So I plead with you. I plead with you to make sure that the biblical gospel is proclaimed repeatedly. Don't settle for anything less. And as individuals, make sure the biblical gospel is believed repeatedly in your life. Keep going back to the gospel. Keep meditating on the gospel. Don't get too big for your britches and try to figure out eschatology and all of the deep things of Scripture. Just go to the gospel. Number two. And we're going to camp out here for just a minute, so turn to 1 Peter. Keep your place in Acts and be finding in 1 Peter. Because the second thing Paul tells people the people at Ephesus, is that they should expect things to get more difficult. And what I say to you is expect things to get more difficult for us as followers of Christ and be willing to adapt, but not to compromise. In Acts 20, Verses 22 and 23, Paul goes on and he says, Now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and affliction await me. Now notice he didn't say that private jets and multiple mansions await me. He said bonds and affliction awaits me. This is what the Holy Spirit testifies to me. And Paul is letting the church at Ephesus know that things are going to be difficult for the true church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you were in First Peter, I want us to just walk through some high points in First Peter, beginning in chapter one and verse six, and we're going to move pretty swiftly. These are not on the screen. you're going to have to have your Bible because we're going to walk through them pretty quickly. I want you to hear what Peter is telling the church, okay? And, and, and what do we, where do we get our definition and understanding of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to be a church? Do we get that from the Word of God or our experience? This is when you say, thank you, the Word of God, right? So we're not, we're not basing Christianity and the church on our experience. We're basing it on the Word of God. And here we have the Word of God, Peter, the Apostle of Jesus, writing to the church, and he's he's repeatedly hammering something. Let's begin in chapter 1, verse 6. He says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. A little while, this life is, is a very little while compared to eternity, Right? For a little while, you'll be distressed by various trials. Chapter 2, verse number 12. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. So here we see Peter saying... The, you're going to be slandered as evildoers. Is that good or bad? It's bad, right? All right, well, let's drop down to verses 19 and 20 of chapter 2. For this finds favor if for the sake of conscience towards God a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin, or you are harshly treated you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. Again, Peter's saying, you're going to suffer, you do it patiently, you find favor with God. You're going to be bearing up with great sorrow under suffering. This is to the church. Chapter 3 and verse number 6. Chapter 3, verse 6, Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. Why would he tell this church to live this way without being frightened by any fear if there weren't fearful things in their midst and in their environment? Verse 9, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. Verse number 14, even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation. Do not be troubled Verse number 16, keep a good conscience so that in the things in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Turn over to chapter 4, verse 12 through 16. Beloved, do not be surprised. He's been building up to this moment. Here we've got some suffering, we've got some slander, you're called evildoers, you're going to be sorrowful, here's how you live, you don't return evil for evil. And now he gets to verse 12 and says, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ... Keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or thief or evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed but is to glorify God in this name. And then in chapter 5, verse 8, he reminds them, that their ultimate adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Do you see a theme here in 1 Peter? In his letter he's writing to the church, it is, don't be surprised that Joel Osteen's theology doesn't work for you. Because if this is your best life now, you've got problems. Don't be surprised. There's a fiery ordeal Don't be surprised. There's suffering. Learn how to live when people slander you as evildoers. Peter is warning the church of suffering. Paul is warning the church at Ephesus that he will suffer. And we need to expect things to get more difficult for us as followers of Christ. Is that hard to believe after 2020? We don't have a problem with keeping Walmart open. Are the liquor stores open? Are the casinos open? But you're going to catch the COVID at church. Do you think that's just accidental? I know I just stepped on a landmine there, but hey, got five weeks left. (laughs) But say I'm not telling the truth. We'll we'll shut down nothing that makes us money. But we'll be super spreaders at church, you know. Don't think that was coincidental. Don't think it was coincidental that they were pastors fined and churches fined for meeting together while the bars were open just down the road. Don't think it was coincidental that we have brethren in Canada who have been put in jail for meeting to worship Christ. If we can't believe that things are going to get tougher after 2020, we're oblivious. And we need to be prepared for the reality that the church is not going to be smiled upon much longer in this country by our governing officials. The smile has already turned into kind of a stare. It won't be long before the stare turns into a frown. And we need to be ready and willing to adapt, but not to compromise. So I'm just going to throw this out here. One of the reasons we are so big on discipleship groups here and people feeding themselves here is because I honestly believe that within 10 years, in order to have a place like this up and running, we'll probably have to compromise 75% of what we believe, especially when it comes to marriage and gender. And we're going to need people that can feed themselves the Word of God in their homes. I hope I'm not right. But it wouldn't surprise me that if we're not willing to compromise, we won't have to learn to home church within 10 years' time. Well, that's not, that's not our experience. What do we base our Christianity on, experience or the Bible? The experience that we have had in this nation is not normal Christianity. It's abnormal Christianity. I want you to hear me very clearly. It is abnormal, when you read the Bible, for Christians to be wealthy and prosperous. It is normal for Christians to be poor and needy. But what is our experience? In the Bible, it's abnormal for Christians to be characterized by comfort. It is normal, however, for Christians to be characterized by suffering. What is our experience? It's abnormal in the Bible for Christians to be characterized by physical and material security. It is normal in the Bible for Christians to be characterized by vulnerability. What is our experience? It is abnormal for Christians to be characterized by popularity in the Bible. It is normal for Christians in the Bible, however, to be characterized by persecution. What is our experience? I propose to you that I don't even know if we've experienced biblical Christianity. Persecution is normal in the church. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer what? Persecution. So I say to you, church, expect things to get more difficult for us as followers of Christ and be willing to adapt, but not to compromise. And young people, I want you to look at me very carefully. And I want you to, if you've been playing on your phone, on Instagram, or Minecraft, or Candy Crusher, or whatever it is you do. I just dated myself with Candy Crusher, probably, didn't I? I want you to look up here and I want you to listen to me very carefully, young person. You need to settle in your mind right now. You need to settle in your mind right now whether Jesus is worth your career. Whether Jesus is worth your popularity. Whether Jesus is worth your comforts. Because your parents and your grandparents have experienced a greenhouse Christianity. You know when you put a tomato plant in a greenhouse... It grows and it flourishes and it does well. But when you put it out in the sun, what happens to that greenhouse plant? Doesn't make it, does it? It's been babied. And your parents, me, your grandparents have been babied. They're greenhouse Christians. And you young people, you will not make it as a greenhouse Christian in the world you are growing up in you've got to decide right now are you going to be a greenhouse tomato plant or are you going to be a mighty oak tree because greenhouse tomato plants are not going to make it are you willing are you willing to lay down your hopes of prosperity your hopes of popularity your hopes of a lucrative career your hopes of comfort if if it means laying it down for jesus are you willing to do that if not you will not make it Go ahead and sell in your mind now, young person, that you'll be an oak tree and not like all of us, greenhouse plants. Number three, Acts chapter 20, Paul goes on in verse 24. Keep the great commission, the goal. COVID-19 doesn't stop the Great Commission. Persecution doesn't stop the Great Commission. Suffering doesn't stop the Great Commission. Keep the Great Commission the goal. Verse 24, Paul says, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Paul said, Jesus has set me aside for the Great Commission, and I'm going to finish my race. I'm going to finish strong. I'm going to finish my course. Jesus has given us all the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, right on the screen, Matthew 18, 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. We have a master, and his name is Jesus. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto Me. That means no one on earth has any authority without Jesus giving them some authority. He's got it all. And if he is our master, and if he is our Lord, and we are his children, then we have to do what he says to do. And what he says to do is what? Go. He gives us a mission. This master gives us a mission. And it is to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them and teaching them. We see this as a local mission because the word go literally means as you are going. So as you go throughout your daily life, make disciples. It's a global mission. It's a, it is a national mission. It is a global mission. Because he says, go and make disciples of all the nations. And we know that word nations is not referring to geographical nations with geographical boundaries, but it's referring to the Pantata ethne, the people groups of the world. So we... Go and make disciples locally as we go and we make disciples of all the people groups in the world and we do that by reaching them and teaching them. We reach them and baptize and then we teach them by showing them everything Jesus told them to do. We have a master and his name is Jesus. He's given us a mission To go and reach and to teach both locally and globally. And we have the means to do it. Because he said, I'm with you always even to the end of the age. Jesus said, I'm going to be with you in this mission. I'm going to be with you in this endeavor. I'm going to be beside you and within you and around you and before you in this mission. So let's keep the Great Commission the focus. And How many times have you heard that if we make the Great Commission the bullseye, What happens? All the other characteristics of the Acts chapter 2 church begin to fall into place as we make the Great Commission the bullseye. Missions, evangelism, disciple-making the bullseye. We mature in the Word. We make supplication. We have meaningful fellowship. We minister to one another. We see miracles happen in the lives of people and we magnify and glorify our great God. So, keep the focus, the Great Commission, and individuals. Spend your life for the Great Commission I mean let's think about this you live the American dream you you get your degrees you get your job you move up the ladder you get a pay raise every year or two. you get you a home in a gated community you have a couple of luxury vehicles you've got a fat 401k you're a member of the country club you're a member of whatever other kind of club you want to be a member of Everybody knows who you are. You're somebody in town. You're wearing designer clothes. Your wife's got the nicest jewelry. Everything is wonderful. And then you die like everybody else. You die like the pauper on the street. And you take none of it with you. And you had a good run. But for what value? I want to challenge you to not buy the lie of the American dream, which is really the American nightmare, and spend your life to advance the kingdom of God. Spend what's left of your life to advance the kingdom of God. Make the Great Commission the goal. I need to hurry because I got seven more. I'm kidding. Number four. Number four. Beware Of all caps all false teachers and all false teaching look in verse 25 and now behold I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God be on guard For yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Why should we be on guard, Paul? Because I know, verse 29, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Even right here in first century Christianity, false teachers were already starting their stuff. And Paul is saying, beware of false teachers. Beware of false teaching. Be on the alert. Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote in Jude verses 3 and 4, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I wanted to write to you about our salvation. Good news. But I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Let me tell you, it's not the Mormons and the Jehovah's false witnesses and the Muslims and the Buddhists that cause me concern. They're right out there out front. False teaching. What causes me concern is the absolute all-access nature that you have to people online and on the television. And unfortunately, the people who seem to have the most traction online... And on television are the ones who have the charisma and the energy and the good looks, not the sound doctrine. I I so could call some names right now. friend, Joel Tigreen, who passed away a while back, I wish I could get this shirt. I know his wife wouldn't give it up. But he had this shirt and it just had false teachers and it had all their names on it. And he would just wear it around Turkey. If you're looking for a pastor appreciation gift, <laughs> even if it doesn't fit in the box, if you just lay it across the welcome desk, they'll know who it belongs to. It's extra large, okay? Just in case it shrinks in the wash. <laughs> Y'all thought I was joking. Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Listen, beware of all false teaching and all false teachers. Even a little, We don't need a little bit. We don't, well, they're pretty good. And let me give you a cue. Can I just give you one easy identifier? And you're not going to like this, because it, it just doesn't feel good, but this is true. If you're listening to this guy, and he talks more about you, And he puts the spotlight on you. More than he talks about Christ and puts the spotlight on Christ, just turn him off. That's an easy one-liner. If this cat is talking more about you and God wants to make you happy and God wants to make you wealthy and God wants to make you successful and God wants to make you comfortable, no wonder we can pack a stadium with that nonsense. Everybody wants to be successful and comfortable and happy and all that in a bag of chips. So if I just keep telling you that's what God's going to do for you, you're going to come back. Not because you love Christ, but because you love yourself. If He's putting the emphasis and the focus on you rather than on Christ. Just turn him off. You're not getting anything beneficial and edifying out of that anyway. Be on guard, young people. Stick your nose in this book. You recognize a counterfeit by knowing the real thing. Get your face in this book. Number five, strive to maintain biblical unity. Verse 30. From among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So Paul's warning them we got some false teachers coming in, and even you, elders, you need to be careful because some of you can draw people away from the fellowship. How many of us know of a pastor or a minister or an elder? that stirs and causes a division and then draws away some people with him. That's what Paul's warning against here because Satan is looking for every opportunity to stir some disunity. How do we get unity? Did you like the songs Tom picked out this morning? Were those good for you? Oh, they weren't? Oh, Tom, Betty really didn't like that Love of God song. Can we, like, not do that one again? Well, well Bobby Joe really loved it. That's what he told me, and now we're confused. How you know, I many of you know if you try to please everybody, you're going to please nobody, especially God? How do we get unity? It's not by polling the congregation. Because our unity is not found in our preferences and our opinions and our own personal desires. Our unity is found in Christ. So guess what? If we come here and we're not focused on Tom and we're not focused on the choir and we're not focused on the preacher and we don't want to leave Andy out and we're not focused on Andy in the announcements though so some of you do need to focus more on that area because we get a lot of calls here in the week over things he's already announced and put. We'll, go, we'll, we'll do that another day. We don't focus on that. We focus on Christ. Guess what? If we focus on Christ, you will not leave dissatisfied. But if you focus on anything lesser than Christ, you will always leave dissatisfied, because Christ is the only one who satisfies. We find our unity in Christ. What is it? A.W. Tozer talked about a tuning fork. As long as all the instruments are tuned to the tuning fork, they will play in unison and with beauty. But if you start trying to tune those instruments to each other, you're going to have a train wreck. Let's not try to tune the instruments to each other. Let's tune the instrument to the tuning fork, who is Jesus Christ. And let's meditate on His gospel message and let's press forward in our vision as a church and looking more and more like that Acts chapter 2 church every day. Unity. Number six. Make certain that everything is rooted in Scripture. Verse 31 to 32, Therefore be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now, I love this, Paul's like, I'm about to set sail, I'm not going to see my face anymore, but now I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. You know what's able to build you up? The Word of His grace. So I commend you to God and to the Word. Make certain that everything is rooted in Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good week, work, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work, church, Be Bereans. Go to the Word of God. Go to the Scriptures. Young people, as you go through school, as you go through college, as you enter into this anti-Christ, anti-Bible world, saturate yourselves in the Scriptures. Saturate yourselves in the Scriptures. Last, but not least, make sure your love for Jesus is real, steadfast, and primary. In verse 33, Paul says, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands minister to my own needs and to the men who were with me. In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that He Himself said it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down, prayed with them all. They began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would not see his face again and they were accompanying him to the ship. These people loved Paul. And they should have loved Jesus. Think about it. Possibly, Priscilla and Aquila started this church in Ephesus. If they didn't do it, Paul did on his second missionary journey. On his third missionary journey, he stopped back in Ephesus and he stayed there for three years. The longest tenure we know of that Paul had anywhere. He stayed for three years with Ephesus. He stops by here in Acts 20 to meet with the elders, to give them his last farewell, so to speak. He goes to prison, and what does he do? He writes a letter to the church at Ephesus. We call it Ephesians. He writes a letter to Timothy, who he is leaving at Ephesus. He is leaving his child in the faith, Timothy. Timothy his protege at Ephesus to pastor this church and to lead this church. And it is also believed that the apostle John himself, the disciple who Jesus loved, joined the church at Ephesus along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and preached to them frequently before and after his exile in Patmos until his death. Now you think about what church do I want to join? I want to join one Paul planted and served that. Timothy preached that. And Apostle John and Mary, the mother of Jesus, go to. That's the one I want to be a part of. Amen? But have you read Revelation? Go to Revelation 2, and I'm almost done, I promise. Those of you that are just starving to death. Revelation chapter 2. You know, if you're hungry, it helps keep you awake. Listen to what... John, the revelator, writes on behalf of Jesus to the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. And I want you to pay attention. Because if you've read the seven letters of Revelation, you know that there is sin, there's idolatry, there is more. And yet Ephesus is the only church that John writes to on behalf of Jesus that Jesus threatens with extinction. Chapter 2 of Revelation, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands, which are the seven churches, says this. Now see if you can see why Jesus threatens to remove them when he doesn't threaten to remove any of the other idolatrous, messed up churches. I know your deeds and your toil, and perseverance and that you cannot tolerate evil men and you put to the test those who call themselves apostles and they are not and you found them to be false and you have perseverance here's this church who's suffering they've got perseverance this is a church who's been confronted with false teachers and they have put them out here's a church who's endured and and toiled in the great commission and this is all the things we just talked about isn't it You've endured for my name's sake and have not grown weary. But verse 4, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first or else I am coming to you and will remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. Yet this you do have that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life which is in the paradise of God. Why did Jesus threaten to remove their lampstand? Not because they were a little bit off doctrinally. They were sound. Not because they were stumbling and falling. They were standing firm. Not because they were weak. They were steadfast and persevering. Not because they endeared false teachers. No, they put them out. No, why did Jesus threatened to remove their lampstand because they were no longer in love with Christ. They had fallen out of love with Jesus. And they had everything right doctrinally. They had everything right on paper. They had everything right on the surface. They had the right history. They had the right background, and yet they had fallen out of love with Jesus. And he said, I'm going to take away your church if you don't get right. Ask yourself this question. Are you passionate about an increasing in affection for Jesus? Richard Baxter said, May the living God, who is the portion and rest of the saints, make these our carnal minds so spiritual and our earthly hearts so heavenly that loving Him and delighting in Him may be the work of our lives. Let me tell you something. The first six things that I just got off the bucket list will not sustain you. Without true, sincere, love for Jesus, love for Jesus, and you know what? Some of you are going, well, I just—I mean, I can't make myself feel love for Jesus. I just—I mean, right now, I'm just in a funk. I'm in a low spot, and I just really don't have a lot of love for Jesus in me. What's wrong with me? You know what? You can't make yourself feel, can you? You can't make yourself love. You can't make yourself happy for long. Isaac Ambrose said, love, like a watch, must be wound up or else it will fall downwards. So if you find yourself out of love with Jesus, you know what you need to do? You need to get in the Word of God. Well, I don't feel like it. Well, you know how you're going to feel like it? Get in it. You think the Holy Ghost is going to sprinkle some kind of fairy dust on you and all of a sudden make you feel good. Well, i feel really good on this Monday morning. I'm going to get in the Word. No, what makes you hunger for the Word is to get in the Word. And what makes you hunger for Christ is to be in the Word. Get on your knees and pray. I won't feel like praying. Well, if you're waiting on God to sprinkle the Holy Ghost fairy dust on you to make you feel like praying, you're going to be waiting a while. Because you know what fuels prayer? You know what winds up the watch of prayer is praying. You feel your love for Jesus waxing and waning. You need to be in the Word. You need to be on your knees. You need to be in the fellowship of the believers. And you need to be doing something for Jesus. Fake it till you make it. Be disciplined would be a more spiritual way to say that. Be disciplined in doing what you know you need to be doing. And then, then, the fire will come. You don't pile up your firewood and watch it and hope it ignites. I'm just waiting on a lightning bolt. I mean, I guess it's possible. But lightning usually doesn't strike right where I built the fire. Built the firewood up, right? You know what you do? If you're a Boy Scout you rub those sticks together, and you keep rubbing those sticks together until you get a spark. And when the spark comes, the fire ignites. And listen, spiritually speaking, we've got to rub the sticks together. We've got to pray. We've got to be in the Word. Even if we don't feel like we've got to be together, we've got to be working for Christ, praying in the Word, together, working for Christ, praying in the Word, working together for Christ, and then the spark will come, and the wood will be ready, and the kindling will be ready, and it will be ready To blaze in you, but do not, do not get apathetic when it comes to your love for Jesus. Okay, my last sermon seven points. If you didn't write them down, I'm checking your papers at the door. Make sure the biblical gospel is proclaimed repeatedly. Expect things to get more difficult for us as followers of Christ and be willing to adapt. But not to compromise. Keep the Great Commission the goal. Beware of all false teachers and all false teaching. Strive to maintain biblical unity. Make certain that everything is rooted in Scripture. And make sure your love for Jesus is real, steadfast, and primary. And it'll go well with you. If not here, in eternity. Amen? Would you bow with me? Listen, if you're here this morning with every head bowed, every eye closed... And you understand for the first time that you have never truly turned from your sin, your old affections, your old attitudes, your old actions, and thrown yourself totally upon the mercy and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right where you are, would you just call upon His name? Would you pray and ask Him to forgive you and to cleanse you and to wash you? Would you trust Him until He gives you assurance that you're His child? Would you fall in love with Jesus afresh this morning? It's our hope and it's our prayer for you. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. Andy and I will be on the front row if you need prayer, guidance, or direction. You can grab someone you trust, or we'll be glad to talk with you and pray with you ourselves. But don't leave here without responding to the Lord as he would lead you to respond. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the patience of these folks as they listen to... A long sermon, and I pray that they've not just listened, but they've heard it. They've taken it to heart. They've taken it down. And they'll bind these things on their foreheads and on their hands and keep these first and foremost as they look to the future. God, we pray if there's a person here who doesn't know you, that you would grant them repentance and grant them faith. And not let them leave this place without being right with you. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.